While the Nationals may be in Philadelphia, heading to Walters is still a great idea. The Tokyo Olympics finally here, and Walters is a great spot to catch all the action, whether you're into gymnastics, swimming, or track and field. Walters has enough TVs to watch everything and anything your heart desires. This year, surfing, skateboarding, softball, and sport climbing have been added to the exhibition events taking place, so make sure you look out for those competitions as well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And sets. And the pitch swung on, hit in the air to deep right. Way back, going, going. It is gone. Goodbye. It's an opposite field walk-off three-run home run for Andrew McCutcheon. And it has happened to Brad Hand and the Nationals again. Unbelievable. A mob seat at home plate for the Phillies of Andrew McCutcheon. And welcome to Nats Chat for Tuesday, July 27, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it's not that we needed more convincing, but we certainly got more convincing on Monday night. A 6-5 walk-off loss for the Nationals at the Philadelphia Phillies. If there were any people left on the boat that is, no, stay in the fight. No, don't trade Max Scherzer. Don't trade Brad Hand. Don't trade Daniel Hudson. Uh, I believe that boat now is officially empty with the Nationals suffering a fifth consecutive loss, falling to nine games below 500. This as reports were swirling Monday afternoon and into the night of the Nationals not only being poised to sell the free agents to be, but also potentially being poised to trade away Trey Turner. We'll get to that momentarily. But Mark, I guess we have to say this, Brad Hand is hurting his trade value right now with these back-to-back blown saves. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I hate to be flippant about that, but the best thing for the Nationals at this point would be for him to lock down a couple of games or just not pitch at all and retain his value. And instead, his value may be plummeting because of his performances. This is now four of his last five appearances. This goes back since the All-Star break, four out of five appearances since the All-Star break, he's either blown a save or taken a loss. That is not good. <laughs> that is really not good. And for the season now, he's got five blown saves, five losses, a 3.67 ERA. And to me, the most troubling thing is, we talked a little bit about this on Sunday. It's like once that first runner gets on base, you can tell he, he doesn't have the ability to get out of it. 
he's either great or it's just not happening. And if I'm a contending team, I've got serious concerns about what to expect, you know, from him putting him into a big spot. Now, you know, yeah, he's a lefty. Somebody will want him on their team. They just probably won't be giving up nearly as much as they might have a week or two ago. And it is truly a worst case scenario for Mike Rizzo and the Nationals right now when it comes to Brad Hand. Yeah, I mean, there certainly is an inherent volatility with relievers, but uh, Brad Hand is amplifying that volatility right now. And this is not what the Nationals need, not from a standpoint of winning and losing games, but from a standpoint of maximizing the guy's trade value. Like, that's the prism through which I think if you're a Nats fan, you have to be viewing these Brad Hand blown saves. He was terrible on Monday night. Three-run Phillies ninth inning, allows three runs, gets one out, blows a save for a second consecutive game, leadoff double to Gene Segura, a wild pitch, a one-out five-pitch walk to Bryce Harper, and then the one-out first pitch, walk-off three-run homer to Andrew McCutcheon. Oh, by the way, Austin Voth was horrendous again in that Phillies three-run sixth inning. Voth could not find the plate in that inning. The Nationals' bullpen has been really bad here lately. We can do more on the game a little bit later on in the episode. But really, to me, the headline item is everything that was out there on Monday. So we'll just kind of recap the main points here. The biggest thing came out late Monday night. John Heyman, MLB insider. And you always pay attention if you're a Nats fan to what John Heyman tweets because he is notoriously close with Scott Boris. And we all know the influence Boris has had with the Nats over the years. Heyman tweeting on Monday night, quote, Nats message to other teams, everyone but Juan Soto is available. The reason Trey Turner is not included with Soto is the team has been unable to lock him up with their past attempts, end quote. Speaking of Trey Turner, there was a lot circulating about him on Monday. Peter Gammons, yes, that Peter Gammons, the longtime MLB insider, he on Monday morning tweeted, quote, keep hearing Washington ownership isn't going to do anything long-term with Trey Turner. Talk about a market changer, end quote. Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post, she late on Monday afternoon tweeted, quote, Nationals are getting a lot of interest in Trey Turner, according to person familiar. Sounds like they haven't ruled out dealing him, but would need to be presented with a total no-brainer of a deal, end quote. Mark, this really is remarkable because we've been discussing, well, should the Nats sell or shouldn't they? I think everyone now, for the most part, is on board with, okay, the Nats should sell, but that's different than will the Nats sell Not only apparently are we getting signs that the Nats will sell, this may be far more of a sell than we ever thought. This could be a fire sale this week, especially if Trey Turner is involved in all of this. Well, all right, let's take a step back here and not go crazy over every single little report out there. But here's what I would say, and I've mentioned this before, that there are different ways to sell. You can do the sell of the obvious parts, the Brad Hand, Daniel Hudson, Josh Harrison sell. And at this point, I can't think what the argument against that would be. Those are the obvious ones. And those are the ones that Mike Rizzo just kind of has the freedom to do on his own. But if the goal here is to truly reshape the organization for the long term, and the thought is that they really aren't even in a position to try to restock and go for it again in 2022, then you have to be able to sell off parts that will actually bring you significant players in return. That's how you rebuild a, a farm system that has been you know, decimated over the years. So to do that, you have to sell guys who are not just two-month rentals. You have to sell players who are under contract beyond one year and players who have real value. And so I, I said a while back, like if you really want to go all in with it, then Trey Turner is the one who gets you the most in return of anybody. 
other than Juan Soto, who we know they're not going to trade away. Now, I would be a little bit careful about reading into the, oh, well, because they haven't been able to sign him to an extension yet, that sort of thing. I don't think anybody honestly believed that he was about to sign an extension anytime soon with them. And that's not his fault. That's not the Nationals' fault. Of course, they would love to lock him up. But if you're Trey Turner and you've seen what the market for shortstops is, and you know the back-to-back seasons that he's having, and you're going into a walk year next year, why would you hamstring yourself and just agree to whatever the Nationals offer you? And why wouldn't you go see if you can break the bank with something huge a year and a half from now? So I don't read a whole lot into that. I think it has more to do with what is the organization truly thinking, as we said, it's not just about this year, but about next year. And if they are truly open or believe that they're not in a position to be a championship contender again next year, then you do have to be willing to blow it all up and get everything that you can to try to create a new generation that will win a few years down the road. So I think it also, though, comes down to this. What is Trey Turner asking for? What have the conversations been like? And are you willing to truly pay what it may take to re-sign Trey Turner? Because to me, like a year ago, I think it was conceivable that you could have signed Trey Turner long-term for maybe less than $200 million. I don't think we're there anymore, especially off the Francisco Lindor extension, 10 years, $341 million. I like Trey Turner. I'm not giving him no Lindor-like contract. I don't want to give him even a contract approaching the Lindor deal. That has to be ascertained. And obviously, we're not going to be able to do that here. But what is it going to take? What's the neighborhood you have to be in to lock up Trey Turner at this point, if that neighborhood even exists right now? Because if the learners really do believe that Trey Turner in order to sign with someone, is going to have to have a contract that starts in the high twos, if not threes, then I think you need to trade him. Even if you don't want to trade him, even if you are trying to contend for next season, you can't lose him for nothing. And I think Trey is a really interesting guy because he's a very good shortstop. Everyone understands that. But he is a bit older here. And Trey Turner right now is in his age 28 season. Next season is his last season under contract. It'll be his age 29 season. So whoever gives him that big money deal, that's going to be for his 30s. And the Nationals potentially here could do the thing that a lot of teams will say is the best thing to do, which is you have the guy in his arbitration years in his 20s, you let someone else overpay him in his 30s. And especially if the overpayment is going to start with a three, I could see the learners saying, well, look, we don't want to just tear everything down right now, but we also don't want to pay this guy Lindor money when we could get burned like we're getting burned right now with Steven Strasburg. So let's go ahead and trade him, you know, if not now, then maybe this offseason. So I'm, I'm not sure how much of the Turner thing has to do necessarily with the goals for next season. I think it may more have to do with, are you truly willing to ante up to pay this guy? And if not, then you got to deal him. Yeah. And I think you make a great point with the, you know, what's the most recent history now for this team with mega contracts? It's not good all of a sudden. And they have a contract that they're potentially stuck with for a long time from pitcher that can't stay healthy enough to make starts for you. And another contract for a pitcher who is healthy but hasn't been effective at all for you. So yeah, I do think that's part of the equation. And what they have to decide is, is Trey Turner our shortstop for a long time? Or do we think he's only here for another year anyways? And then this is what I'm saying though. If they think that they are trying to win in 2022, and this is kind of like what they did with, with, with Rendon a couple of years ago. They're trying to win in 2019, even though he's going to be a free agent. So you you keep them. You say, okay, look, if we end up losing them in the offseason, well, we lost them, but at least we made a run at a title. And sure enough, they won a title. So if you're saying, we still think we can reload and make a run at it in 2022, well, if that's the case, then yeah, Trey Turner should be on the team. 
But if they're thinking, nah, you know what? It's probably not going to happen. These last two years have shown us that this is an aging team, that we don't have depth. We don't have help coming up through the system. It is time to really start over. Then yeah, he is the guy who brings you the most in return. Now, one other thing here that I think is important as well. It's one thing to say that you're taking calls for Trey Turner. It's another thing to actually accept an offer. This is not, I don't, well, I know for a fact, Mike Rizzo is under no orders to trade everyone away. This isn't that. This is, okay, we're evaluating the situation with the franchise and we don't see it happening right now and maybe even beyond this year. So I'm going to go see what I can get for one of my best players. And if I can get a lot for him, that's going to help us down the road, then yeah, I'm going to make that move. But this isn't like a, well, whatever the best offer is, I'm just going to take it situation. With the free agents to be, that's a different story. With Trey Turner, you only make that move, as Chelsea reported, if you get something you say, yes, clearly this is going to help us in the long run. Yes, and that's absolutely the way to play it. I do think, though, it does highlight the mindset right now, which is we're not about buying. We're not about, you know, staying in the fight. Like, we are about selling, even if selling includes trading away Trey Turner. I also find it interesting from this perspective, the most recent trend has been when you have a guy in Trey Turner's predicament, you trade him actually in the offseason, not in season. That's what happened with Francisco Lindor. That's what happened with Mookie Betts. That doesn't mean that that has to happen with Trey Turner, but I was kind of felt like if the Nats were going to deal Turner, it would have been this coming offseason, not midseason here, because in theory, you'll have more players. You'll have more potential suitors for Turner. Now you're only going to be limited to those teams that are in contention. But who knows? Maybe the Nats can get great value for Turner now because obviously the team getting them will have them for you know a season and a half as opposed to just one season. Yeah, and but I think that's also a good point as well is that, again, they don't have to do it now. They may even decide, hey, we don't want them to be part of the team next year. But you're right. In the offseason, there might be more teams interested. I haven't really looked at it that closely. How many teams, contending teams right now need a shortstop? I don't think there's very many. Yeah, are you going to limit what your market of, of opportunity is? So uh, again, If you're Mike Rizzo, I think you absolutely should be taking calls about Trey Turner. Find out what you can get potentially for him. But that does not mean you have to do it. And there's a difference between taking calls and actually making a move. And I think he goes into a different category there. That's one that, yes, if if somebody comes through and says, hey, here's an offer you can't refuse, yes, you do it. But if they don't, you say, fine. We're going to finish out the season with him. Maybe we'll look at that again in the offseason. Maybe we will make him an offer for a long-term deal. And then if he turns it down, then we'll look at trading him again. Who knows? But with that one, I don't feel like there's a lot of pressure on them. That's more of like a, hey, if it all happens to come together, yeah, I think you do it. But if you're Mike Rizzo, you have to at least find out what you can get for him. There's a difference between finding out what you can get for him and then actually you know, making that move. Yeah. The money is fascinating, though. Lindor gets 10 for 341. What would it take to lock up Trey Turner? I thought this past offseason, George Springer, and I know he's not a shortstop, but when he got six for 150 from Toronto, I was like, wow, those are really modest terms. You know, maybe the market is coming down because of the pandemic. And, you know, if you could do Turner for less than 200, that's a no brainer. But if, in fact, it's going to be in the high 200s, low 300s, I don't know that that's a wise investment for a guy going into his 30s. Nat Chat is sponsored by Silver Branch Brewing Company, located in downtown Silver Spring, only a one-minute walk from the Silver Spring Metro Station. Silver Branch is a perfect jumping-off point to Metro down to the game. Park at the Cameron Street parking lot and meet up with friends for a beer and a bite to eat before Metroing down. You could also get Silver Branch beer at Nationals Park. 
Beyond the Gnome World, one of Silver Branch's four flagship beers, is available at District Drafts at Section 223. Brewed to be light and refreshing, Beyond the Gnome World won a gold medal for the Saison beer style at the Great American Beer Festival last year. Beyond the Gnome World is deliciously dry and thirst-quenching and the perfect beer for hot summertime ball games, You may not be familiar with Saison, but take our word for it, baseball season is the perfect season for Saison, and buying from District Drafts to support your local breweries is a gnome run. Go to Section 223 and try Beyond the Gnome World the next time that you're at Nats Park, and make sure you stop by Silver Branch, located in Metro Plaza, just steps from the Silver Spring Metro. Silver Branch Brewing Company, when you come in, let them know that the Nats Chat Podcast sent you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We also had this regarding Max Scherzer on Monday. Jesse Doherty, the Washington Post, late Monday afternoon tweeting that Max will not be using his 10-5 rights to veto a trade in order to remain with the Nats. So Max is open to leaving. Now, he can use the 10-5 rights to dictate where he ultimately ends up if, in fact, there are multiple offers on the table, which there almost certainly will be. But this idea that some have suggested of, well, Max has to accept a trade, he won't accept a trade. No, it sounds like he's open to being traded here. Yeah, here I can tell you what I was told on Monday about that, which is wherever it is, Max wants to win. Okay, now that's not surprising. Of course, anybody's going to say that. But I think it's telling that if he doesn't think that he's got a chance to win here and he knows he only got so many years left in his career, then he wants a chance to win somewhere else. And there are a handful of places, I think, that would fit that description for him. That doesn't mean anywhere. It means, you know, and, and that's where the 10 and 5 rights come in. Again, this is Mike Rizzo's job is to go find out what the best offers are that you can get for him. And then you take those to Mark Lerner and see if he will approve it. And then you also take him to Max Scherzer and see what he would approve. And my understanding from that is if it was the right place and it was a team that he felt like he had a chance to go chase another title, that, yeah, he'd be agreeable to that, especially given what's happened here in D.C. over the last week or so and where it looks like the direction of the franchise may be headed beyond this year. It's incredible. The rut since the All-Star break continues, the Nationals going into the All-Star break were 42 and 47. No, that was not like a great spot to be in, but you said, all right, you can make hay with that, especially with the supposed softening of the schedule. Uh, The Nats now find themselves 45 and 54 on the year. And in just a period of 
really essentially 48 hours, we've gone from, well, will they sell? Could they sell? To now, they're like all in on selling, it sounds like, maybe even to a higher degree than we ever anticipated. As Jerry told Babu many years ago, the wheels are in motion and the wheels appear to be in motion when it comes to the Nationals being sellers come the MLB trade deadline. Well, with this loss at the Phillies on Monday night, it was another one of these brutal Nats losses. We talked about Brad Hand's latest struggles. I do want to just make mention again, I mean, Austin Voth, who for a while, Mark, looked like he was really trending in a positive direction for the Nationals this season. Man, do the wheels appear to be coming off with him. Three-run Phillies, sixth inning. He gives up three runs, gets just two outs, allows each of the first four batters he faces to reach base. Lead-off single by Bryce Harper, full-count single by Andrew McCutcheon, who both had down at 1.02, then a three-run homer by Reese Hoskins to left field on a 1-2 pitch to cut the Nats' lead to 4-3. Yeah, oh, by the way, the Nats blew a 4-0 lead in this game, and then both gave up another hit, a full-count single to D.D. Gregorius. Really disappointing here. Both is in some kind of a rut right now. So here are the numbers, and it's kind of ugly. It's eight appearances this month in July. He's given up 12 runs on 12 hits and four walks over seven total innings. That is a lot. And what's happening here? Well, is this Austin Voth kind of showing who he really is? Is it him showing some wear and tear from the uh, reliever's workload for the first time in his career? It could be that as well. I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's pretty clear that he's sort of number four on Davey's depth chart in the bullpen right now. It's Hand, Hudson, Finnegan are his three that he seems most comfortable with. And then if he needs a fourth, it seems to be both, unless it's a lefty matchup and he goes with Sam Clay. Well, at this point, I don't think you can say that Voth deserves to be that guy. Now, here's the problem. And this is going to tie in with the when we discussed Joe Ross here and why he came out of the game after five innings. They do not have enough reliable options in their bullpen to give you four innings every night. They just don't. Forget about even Hand. Even if Hand was pitching well, which he's not, they still don't have enough to get through all that. They had to use up a lot just to try to win Sunday's game, and it didn't work out. Now you have to try to do it again on Monday and get four innings, and you can't push Finnegan or Hudson to pitch more than one because they both did that on Sunday. So somebody's got to pitch the sixth. So if it's not both, who are your other options? Your options are Wander Suero, Sam Clay, your guy, Jeffrey Rodriguez, or Ryan Harper. Now, here's the one that everyone keeps asking me about. Ryan Harper has not given up a run since April. He has an ERA below one. Why is he not pitching in any of situation of consequence? And I asked Davey, I kind of open-endedly asked him, is there anyone else in your bullpen that you feel like you want to get a look at, or do you think you can trust for some high leverage spots? And he sort of rambled around and he named a few guys, Suero and Clay were among them. He never mentioned Ryan Harper's name. This is the guy who typically keeps getting sent down to AAA when somebody else is healthy. He has options. He's not a young guy. He's a veteran. He's been around. For whatever reason, I don't know what that reason is, but they clearly do not trust him in situations of consequence, despite what the numbers say. The numbers, all that has come in low leverage spots. He really has not been used in hardly any high leverage situations. Maybe that will change now. I don't know. But he's the only one out of that group that you can say, yeah, maybe give him a try. And it's pretty clear in my mind that they have no intention of giving him a shot. Yeah, I don't really get that. 
You know, this bullpen is not in a good way. The truth is this bullpen has not been in a good way for a while. And we blamed a lot of that on the starting pitching, not going deep in the games. And I do think that that's a valid reason, at least in part. But the truth is this bullpen ended up not being as good as we thought it was. And this bullpen has ended up not being as deep as we thought it was. You know, that was a narrative early in the season. Well, you know, the Nats bullpen, this is the deepest it's been in years. Yeah, I don't know about that. You know, it's highly debatable. Uh, You mentioned Sam Clay faced one batter, got the guy out, struck out Brad Miller on five pitches to end that three-run Philly sixth inning. That was actually a big spot there by Clay. Good job. Kyle Finnegan, scoreless bottom of the seventh, two strikeouts. Daniel Hudson, scoreless bottom of the eighth, although again, he uh, was playing with fire, uh, gave up a couple of singles, and then he got a very generous called strike three on Alec Bohm for the third out with runners on first and second. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat and games on Tuesday night include the Toronto Blue Jays at the Boston Red Sox at 710. Boston can hit, but starting for the Blue Jays is former Nationals prospect Robbie Ray, who's having a great season, 142 strikeouts on the year. He's averaging 11.4 strikeouts per nine innings. He has an ERA plus of 143. We're riding with the Jays. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Treat the whole family to a fun night of baseball with the Bethesda Big Train at Shirley Povich Field. Big Train Baseball is the perfect mix of small-town charm and big-league talent right here in Bethesda's Cabin John Regional Park. Visit BigTrain.org forward slash tickets to reserve your seats for tonight's game and all other home games throughout July. Well, the Nationals get a strong return from the injured list from Joe Ross. He goes five shutout innings, allowing three hits, two walks, four strikeouts, and a hit batter. You referenced, though, what was easily the best part of the night from a Nationals perspective, assuming you're still invested in the winning and losing aspects of these games, and that is Joe Ross. Joe Ross back from the 10-day injured list, and he looked good. He looked really good in this game. Five scoreless innings for Joe Ross in his return from the 10-day IL. You know, it's interesting. He was on that 10-day IL, I feel like, for longer than we thought he was supposed to be on. I remember when he went on it, uh, it was kind of a surprise 
uh, was all the way back on July 8th, retroactive to July 7th, or a right elbow inflammation. He ends up, you know, being on there for the bulk of this month of July, gets activated on Monday, and he goes out there on Monday night, five scoreless innings on 72 pitches, four strikeouts, only gives up three hits, all of which were singles, and one of which was due to a brain cramp by Josh Bell. Issues two walks, but one of those was intentional. Does issue a hit by pitch, but I thought a good job by Joe Ross, and I know you noted this on Twitter, and we've talked about this before, but the Jekyll and Hyde aspect of Joe Ross's season really is incredible. 17 starts now for him this year. He has made 12 starts in which he has allowed two earned runs or less. And as you noted, he has made seven starts in which he has allowed zero earned runs or less. And yet the ERA is still just 380 because he's had some blow-up starts. Like, he's either been great or awful. Luckily for him, he was great on Monday night. Spin the wheel, make a deal, right? This is what you've been saying all along. (laughs) Now, what I will say is, though, that really, you know, there were two bad ones early on. And since then, I know there have been a couple, but for the most part, he's actually been pretty good here for a while now, sandwiched around the, the trip to the IL. And this is still, to me, obviously at this point and the rest of the way, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, the future and what do they have moving forward. And I feel pretty good in saying that I think they have something in Joe Ross. They don't have a number two starter in Joe Ross, but they have a major league pitcher, a major league starter in him. And I am very interested to see now how they approach him the rest of the way. You said that he wound up on the IL a little longer than we thought. Yes. At the same time, though, we had been hearing all along about how They're watching his innings this year after he sat out last year, after he'd had Tommy John surgery prior to that. They were going to be really careful with him and expected at some point they were probably going to shut him down for at least a period of time to give him a break. And they feel like they didn't manufacture that. He did feel something in his elbow, but they feel like that was a bit of fatigue that was occurring from having pitched every fifth day, basically since the start of the season and starting to get to that point where it was wearing on him. So I think that allowed them to maybe take a little more time here, given those three weeks off. Now, what do you do the rest of the way? I think it's important to get him out there every fifth day and see what you have and build him up. But at the same time, they do have to be careful and not extend him too far because he's going to be important to their future at this point. He is controllable. He doesn't cost a lot on a roster and a rotation that has a whole lot of money being spent on other guys. So he is very important to this franchise moving forward in 2022 and beyond. And I think what we've seen from him here this year suggests that he can and should be a part of that. His upside is still probably only that of like a good number four, maybe a number three. So I think like you know that, you know, and and he was kind of already that years ago, like in 2015, 2016. I think what's so encouraging about this year is that he has shown that he can get back to that level because we weren't sure that he could get back to that level that he was at in 15 and 16. He dealt with injury and ineffectiveness in recent years. So to see him doing this this year has been good. It's been a bizarro year for him, like it's been a bizarro year for the team. But at the end of the day, you look at, all right, well, what was the overall production? And the overall production for Joe Ross has been there. Like the route that he's taken to get to that production is rather circuitous, but he's gotten there. Like an ERA of 380, you take that, especially from like a number four starter, number five starter type. I mean, I guess technically he was supposed to be the number five starter this year, and Lester was supposed to be the number four starter. So good job by Joe Ross. Good to see him do as he did against a pretty good Phillies lineup there on Monday night couple of other thoughts here from the game. So the Nats did have a four-run fourth inning, and it was an ultra-unique inning, A, in that it was one first-pitch ambush after another by the Nationals. That was clearly a game plan. But B, back-to-back RBI triples by Josh Bell 
and Josh Harrison, uh, especially with Bell, right? Not exactly a prime candidate to hit a triple, uh, but that ball that Bell sent flying into the air, it felt like it was up in the air for about an hour and a half. So he makes it all the way to third. It was a stand-up triple for Josh Bell, which was interesting to see. Bell's around second digging for third as a run is scored. Harper's throw in is offline, and Bell's in at third standing with a triple. As Bell picks up RBI number 47 with his first triple in a Nationals uniform. Good inning there for the Nationals. Not much else happening for the Nationals offensively, but that inning obviously was a really good one. Both of them were stand-up triples. How often do you see that? (laughs) Well, first of all, it had only happened once before in team history for just back-to-back triples at all from anybody. And I don't know if you saw the stat. You see who it was? Jamie Carroll and Jose Vidro in April of 2005 on the very first road trip in Nationals history in Atlanta, two days before, no, actually maybe the day before the home opener at RFK Stadium. They did it on the road. Jamie Carroll and Jose Vidro. Vidro was not a triples guy, certainly not at that stage of his career. I, I can't say I remember that one, what it looked like, but yeah, that's something. And that rally was pretty remarkable. I mean, it started off good. First of all, the first three innings, they did nothing against Spencer Howard of the Phillies. It was one for nine the first time through the order. And then everyone was talking about, hey, you know what? Howard, the second time through, he fades. And boy, did he fade. So they get two straight singles, and you're thinking, here we go, Soto at the plate. Then Soto grounds into yet another double play, his 17th of the season, most in the majors. And you're thinking, well, there goes that chance. And then one, two, three, four, five consecutive two-out hits, four of them driving in runs. That was a pretty impressive rally. The sad thing is they wound up with seven hits that inning. They had 10 hits for the entire game. And how often have we talked about that this year where they score runs in bunches in one inning and they don't do it again after that? Yeah, I looked at the runners with scoring position stat after the game. I thought it was going to be worse than it was. It was four for 12, but obviously so much of that happened in that inning. In fact, maybe all of it happened in that inning. All four of them did. Yeah, all four of them did. And then again, 0 for 4 with the bases loaded. I mean, they scored a run on one of them. But on an air, but 0 for 4 with the bases loaded. Come on. Not good. Uh, Josh Harrison for the game left five men on base. Gerardo Parra for the game left four men on base. You know, as this season goes on and, and the Nationals continue to plummet, there needs to be some conversations about what exactly are we doing here playing Gerardo Parra, even with these injuries. You know, get some younger guys out there and see what they can do. Parra's numbers are not good. You know, I know he's the baby shark and everything, but you got to start thinking bigger picture and longer term here and get away from this approach of playing, you know, a bunch of older guys as, as best as you can. So game two for the Nats at the Phillies, Tuesday night, 7.05. Eric Fetty is getting a start. And along the lines with Joe Ross, I, I think these are going to be meaningful starts for Fetty down the stretch. He is coming off a good outing in that uh, 3-1, 10 inning loss to Miami at Nats Park on Wednesday night of uh, last week. One run unearned in six innings. That was Fetty's fourth start since coming off the 10-day injured list. The first three starts did not go well. It was good to see that start go well. So we'll see here as we try to figure out, okay, well, what is meaningful and what is meaningless? I was thinking about this too. You know, with the Steven Strasburg situation, if the Nats, in fact, sell and sell hard and, you know, essentially tap out on the season, do you think the Nats decide just there's no point in bringing Strasburg back this year? Or, or do you think regardless of the direction of the season, the Nats are still going to try to have Strasburg come back and make some starts this year? You know, I could see them trying to do it. Now, this is provided he doesn't need surgery or, you know, there's nothing more serious going on. And we're still waiting to hear, by the way, he visited the specialist on Monday. We're not supposed to get any info on that until Tuesday. So stay tuned for that one. But my guess would be 
is that as long as he is cleared to, to start throwing again here at some point, I think they would want to bring him back because do you really want to just go into 2022 with this, the way this season went for him? Like you need to have some idea. He needs to have some idea. Can he pitch in the big leagues and be pain-free and be effective? And can he throw a fastball more than 90, 91 miles an hour? That's going to go a long way to determining what they're really doing here and how he fits into all of this. Obviously, he's under contract. He's not going anywhere. But to me, as long as there's no health risk in bringing him back, my hunch is that they would get him back and try to do so at least for a handful of starts at the end just to have something to build off of going into the offseason and into next year. Been getting a lot of smart emails and tweets from you guys. Keep those coming. You can email us, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. And you can email us in both written and voice form. You can send us a voice memo. Just use your smartphone, record yourself asking a question, making a comment, then email that file to us again, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us too, at nats underscore chat. Email from Charlie Lynch. He wants to see both Carter Keboom and Luis Garcia be playing every day. He also says not to trade Max Scherzer. He wants the Nats to retool, but not rebuild. And he believes that Max is a part of that. So Carter Keboom is obviously back at the major league level. I would assume we're going to see Luis Garcia back at the major league level sooner rather than later. I was thinking about this with Max. There is a contrarian play you could go with here. And that is, if you want Max back, you offer him an extension now. And, and you know, you, you, you make really a good faith effort to re-sign him now, like in season, you know, to your contract, through your contract, whatever you think is appropriate. And if you're like, all right, look, we still want to make a, a go of this next year. We still believe Max can be a really effective pitcher. Here's a nice offer for you. You maybe try to establish some good vibes in, in what is an otherwise lost season. And you try to ink him to an extension in season. I have no idea if he'd be open to that. But I was thinking about that. You could play the Scherzer thing that way. I've been making that case. Like I, I've thought really up until the last few days that he was more likely to return next year than not. But the key there, as we're now kind of getting at, is what is the direction of the franchise and what is their goals and intentions in 2022? Based on what I've been told, yeah, I think he'd want to come back, but he only wants to come back if this team's trying to win and legitimately win, not just like, ah, well, we'll see if we can slap it together and maybe make another run at it. No, like legitimately try to win. He's only got so many years left. He knows that. Yes, he got his one title, but if you have a chance to win another one somewhere, of course, you're going to want to do that. So it goes hand in hand with whatever they do these next few days. If he was convinced that they are still going forward next year, and even if it's not this year, I think he's agreeable to that. But if he gets the sense that, no, that's not where they're headed, that's not their mindset, I think it's going to be tough to convince him now, at least, to re-up. But yeah, I, I think that's a very reasonable play and something I've been endorsing for a while, although that was before we reached this point where it was so clear that this season is a lost cause and now so much so that they may need to think about whether next year is a lost cause or not. One more email. Kyle White, a.k.a. Captain Natitude in Richmond, Virginia, asks, Will Mike Rizzo and the Learner Ownership Group look at the player development department in the offseason and consider making some changes? You know, that's an interesting thought. We talk about, well, the minor league system is not in good shape. Might the organization look at itself in the mirror and say, you know what, we need to revamp some things. We need to change some things because we have not done a good job when it comes to drafting and developing in recent years. Yeah, I think that's a Rizzo decision, mostly. And I can tell you that he's got his guys that he trusts. And there are a lot of people who've been around for a long time, both with the Nationals and in baseball for a long time. 
And he values experience over almost anything else, especially from his scouts. That doesn't mean that he's not open to trying something different. And if that was the direction they felt like they needed to go, I, I suppose I could see something like that happening. I mean, whoever it is that's making the decision on these, we know they have to draft better. They have to develop better. And you can say, well, they've had a lot of lower first round picks because they win so much. Well, they didn't this year. They had the 11th pick. They're probably not going to have a low pick next year. They're probably going to have a pretty good one at this rate. They have to be better at that. That is the only way to sustain success. And at this point, even if you do become really good at drafting and developing, it takes a while for that to pay off. So there may be a gap here of a few years where they're not getting that influx of talent from within, and they have to find another way to field good teams. And it's going to be a few years until they can say, okay, here are our homegrown players that are making the difference. Um, They're in a, a very tenuous period there right now. As we've said, there are very few surefire major leaguers in that farm system right now. It's really not good. Like if you look at the various organizational farm system rankings, it's not like the Nats are, you know, 20th. It's that the Nats are 30th, like almost across the board. Okay. Like it's really bad the way that farm system is viewed. And to your point about where you're picking in the draft, I mean, the MLB draft, it's not the NBA draft. Good players are everywhere. It's so unpredictable with these MLB drafts, who ends up doing well. So like the idea of, well, we're not normally picking in the top 10 or top 15. So what? You you can find good players everywhere in these MLB drafts. Like to me, that's not an excuse. They've had a really bad go of it when it comes to first round picks. They've made some selections that you look back upon and you're like, what were they thinking? I mean, the Seth Romero selection and then taking that guy with all of his off the field baggage, like what were they thinking when they took him? And then he ends up undergoing Tommy John surgery. Like that's been a mess. There've been others that haven't worked out. So No doubt. They have got to start hitting on these first round picks. And they do that. They can certainly be back to being good again sooner rather than later. Well, you tell us what you think. Like we said, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. Get yourself a NatsChatPodcast t-shirt. We appreciate all of you who have done that already. You can get your shirt by going to NatsChatPodcast.square.site. And if you have the time and this doesn't take much time, just please Uh, Give the podcast a five-star rating and write just like a one-sentence review saying how much you enjoy the podcast. We appreciate that. It does help out the cause that is the Nats Chat podcast quite a bit. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. I'm going to fix everything. I have a lawyer who knows someone in the immigration department. They're going to straighten the whole thing out. The wheels are in motion. Things are happening. (laughs) The wheels are in motion. The wheels are in motion. Things are happening.